Friday in our first DOK meetup in London. But today we're back with a super cool Ask Them Anything session with two of our, I don't want to say most veteran OG uh, community members, uh, Jeff and Patrick. Patrick's so OG that he's in his car right now. It's on his way. Um, anyway, he'll be joining us very soon. Before we get started, as usual, folks, just basic, you know, housekeeping reminders. We'll be hearing about this in every live stream for, for the next for the next couple of weeks until our CFP closes. All right. Um, but if you haven't submitted a CFP yet for KubeCon uh, proposal for a talk, please do so as long as it you know meets our requirements regarding talking about running simple workloads on Kubernetes or anything else that belongs to the data on Kubernetes ecosystem, analytics, AI, machine learning. We're hearing a little bit about uh, that more in detail in, in the talk from, from Jeff and Patrick, um, but please definitely get that in there. Unlike regular live streams and KubeCon, talks are a little bit shorter. Also, we're very much focused on diversity there, so keep that in mind. Uh, also open to, to panel submissions too, so that's an, an additional option if you'd like to get into that. But that being said, that's that's pretty much all I got in the way of uh, an intro or reminders that we have there. Of course, check out the live streams we have coming up next week and the following weeks. But that being said, our one of our speakers today is uh, Jeff Carpenter, who's a legend at Datastax, um, DJ Jazzy Jeff. Soon to be published author, <laughs> oh, no. soon to be published author, um, is has a real background. This is not a fake background. We were talking before we got started. That's his diploma on the wall. But Jeff, could you just, for the folks that don't know you, although they very much should know you if they have been good attendees and our other meetups. That's okay. In, That's okay. That's okay. No shame. Dogs. <laughs> no shame. But um, who is Jeff? What brought Jeff to uh, Data on Kubernetes? What can we expect today? And hello, Patrick. Hey. Hi, Patrick. No, you go right ahead, Jeff. Go. That that really weird link that I just sent you actually worked. That's so awesome. Um, yeah. Well, okay. So I've been involved in the Cassandra, Apache Cassandra community for um, seven, eight years now. Um, uh, coming out of a love that I have for building really, really big next generation applications, <laughs> which has taken me some interesting places. Uh, <clears throat> so having... Um, Having worked with Cassandra for a long time, um, I began to, to understand that, you know, like within DataStacks, what we were doing to build out uh, a database as a service was, was based on Kubernetes and deploying Cassandra and Kubernetes. And then we were actually building a product based on that. Um, and as I began to learn things like that, uh, I was like, wow, I really like, I'm weak in this area and I need to get to know Kubernetes better and how to run things on it. Um, so about a year and man, maybe just a little over a year ago, I just, I just dove in with both feet and was like, you know what? Um, yeah, I'm an imposter on Kubernetes. I'm just diving. I'm just going for it. I'm just diving in. Okay. So no, that's, that's, that's I mean, my background. No, but everybody has a different sort of path in terms of how they got here and that's yours. Now, Patrick's path, uh, Patrick was involved, was did our very first live stream. It seems like it was 500 years ago, but it was in July of 2020. Um, <clears throat> Patrick, you are here today, and today is no ordinary day. Today also happens to be your birthday. So I've already, yeah! I've already put out a little message in the chat, but uh, I want to see lots of birthday balloons. I want to see lots of cool emojis uh, flying off in the chat. Um, today is Patrick's birthday. Very, very special day. Very happy to have you with us. Patrick, you've seen the evolution of this community and the evolution of this sort of question and the challenges of data on Kubernetes. 
where do you see where we're at today? And I, with that as a segue, maybe we can start jumping into to the slides that you prepared. Remember folks, this is an Ask Me Anything session. So get your questions down. You can also get them in Slack. Um, Jeff and Patrick have a quick presentation for context and then we'll just jump, we'll just get right into uh, direct questions. Um, but in the meantime, you can keep them coming in the chat. But Patrick, just a little quick overview of where you see where we're at today based on where we were at when, when, when you did that first inaugural uh, live stream about is Kubernetes even ready for data? Well, one thing, I'm getting older and I'm learning things. <laughs> um, Good. And Jeff, if, if, you're, uh, if you're teeing up the deck, that'd be great. I don't know. Are you going to present it or am I? Because <laughs> we got to do that awkward business. Oh, you talk. Thing. You talk. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. It's fine. All right. Right on. Um, so, yeah, my, my background is uh, a little different, uh, actually a lot different, because my, my world has been infrastructure. I've been doing infrastructure for 20 plus years. And... Uh, so Kubernetes was just an evolution for me. It was something that was <clears throat> that wasn't surprising. And you know, I I had, I was involved in DevOps. Uh, did you know the Velocity Conference and all that? Um, like back in two thousand eight, two thousand ten, and you know, moved infrastructure over from bare metal to virtual machines to containers. So Kubernetes was a great evolution. Uh, for me, uh, and of course, I've been involved with the Apache Cassandra project for a long time. So cloud native is definitely built into my DNA at this point. But um, yeah, when Jeff and I were talking about writing this book, it was um, it was based a lot on that first talk I had at DOK, which was, you know, really, because there's just, I think there was a feeling out there in the community that um, is this, you know, this sounds great, but maybe this isn't the right thing for stateful workloads. And it was just a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And so when I talked about that was my first talk is, is it, is it? And I, I posed a few questions and then like, uh, you know, like everybody should do, you should answer your own damn questions. So um, <laughs> I, Jeff, when Jeff and I were talking about writing this book, it was like, you know, this is how we, we both have a long history of developer advocacy. And this is a really important way of learning is, um, you know, just digging into a topic. And it, I think when you read the book and when it's finished, you'll see that we bring a lot of our previous experience into this new world. Um, and it hasn't changed a whole lot. It's just, we, you know, uh, like, what do they say? Like the, the future, it doesn't get, or the history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. She, I, chef and puppet have been replaced by, you know, coob cuddle. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this EMA today though, because I think it's going to help us. We're halfway through the book right now. Um, it'll help us springboard into the next half and finish this thing strong. Very good. And that being said, you know, if you're interested in, in getting more involved in the book, you know, in terms of contributing or asking questions, giving feedback, things like that, both Jeff and Patrick are very, very accessible on Slack. You can reach out um, and become a part of this. Um, so yeah, that being said, if you want to you start sharing your slides, um, we, can, we can take a look at those. In the meantime as well, we've got the questions. We've got about, I'd say about 10 or so questions on Slack um, ready to go, but we can definitely take more. So as is uh, like, you know, on the go, if you have questions, just drop them in the chat and we'll get to them accordingly. Hey, which Slack channel are you using, Bart, uh, for this? Is it the meetup one? uh the dok just the general um we oh we the got, general okay got yeah, it. yeah we got it we got a thread um we got a thread starting the general one where i posted different questions from different community members got it okay yeah. thank you yep no worries oh i need the thread no don't worry i'll link it i'll send it to both of you right now oh okay yep i see it never mind we're all good okay, you got everything's it. Cool. great good i love it 
<clears throat> okay, here's a presentation called Things We Learned About Kubernetes When Writing a Book, plus your questions. All right, so you may have seen some of this data before. Uh, basically, like uh, everyone's thinking that they are either running stateful workloads on Kubernetes now, or they're going to be. I mean, that's essentially the takeaway from this quote is that uh, uh, we, we sense uh, from this great survey um, that, that Bart and you guys and the team there, Melissa, Savan, like put together and put out last year, everyone's doing it or thinking about doing it. So one of our, one of our theses that we had for writing the book, which was, hey, let's show all those haters that uh, Kubernetes is in fact ready. Um, that might not as be as, as tough of a sell as we maybe originally thought. Uh, so we, we did decide to write a book. Patrick's talked about it a little bit already. Um, uh, we're gonna show you some stuff at the end here about some concrete ways that you, you can get involved and help out with this. But um, if you have an O'Reilly account, uh, you can go onto there and, and see the book online, the early release edition with basically about half of the book done. You see our little uh, Tweety bird there that is not the actual animal. They have not even told us what the real animal is, but when will Next we know? Month. Next, Next month. month. Yeah. Super exciting. Um, also, uh, our friends at Portworks um, had a great time hanging out with the mayor and the crew uh, out at um, KubeCon back in September. Uh, and they we're so grateful to them for sponsoring this book, which this also means that if you go to their website that you can grab your own PDF uh, a copy of it from them as well. And then we'll show you some stuff on the website later on. So, hey, tell us about the this? decoder ring, Patrick. <laughs> what is, we're just setting context here, right? What is the decoder ring? <laughs> yeah, I think the overall theme that you'll see uh, Jeff and I talking about is what, what Kubernetes is bringing us in the world of infrastructure, and I think this is what we all need to solve for, is really we're consuming three things continuously. This is um, the compute, network, and storage. These are the things that cost us money. Um, they have real capital cost. But in any kind of infrastructure play, these are the three things you have to manage. Now, you could say, what about security? What about other things? Well, sure. Those are all important, but these are the resources. These are the things that you consume. This is like, um, you know, if you're if you play uh, video games, this is like, you know, your mana and your armor and all these other things that can get depleted. <laughs> you know, we we have to maintain. Are we like, are we making Magic: The Gathering references? I may have done that. We oh, you may have. Yeah. I have this I haven't rocked a mana right? a mana pool in many a year. That's good. yeah. <laughs> Uh, sorry. And then I have a boost card. <laughs> sorry, we're getting a little nerdy. Um, <laughs> yeah, so my compute boost <laughs> is called GPU. Um, the you know these are the three things we rent from clouds, right? Um, and what clouds try to sell us is these three things in some sort of. Uh, when you get a bill, this is actually what you're paying for. Yeah, they put services on top of it. So uh, you know, how do we do this well? Click next, please. And it's, it's moving, this is what we're seeing in our industry right now is we're moving from this, we're collecting 
we're going from virtual servers and containers that we're just you know using right now or we have been using for quite a few years but eventually what we what we get is creating a virtual data center and instead of renting parts of a data center or buying a data center a physical data center we're creating a virtual data center that com that consumes compute network and storage in some way which we can control really well using kubernetes and the pods that we deploy in that virtual data center support the application that we want to do. So there's input and there's output and that virtual data center um, has everything that we need, including security, but that's a part of the network. So next. So our whole strategy for the book is basically taking you from these, uh, <laughs> the primitives that represent this, these, all these little elements, like going from pods and, um, stateful sets and uh, volume claims and persistent volume claims, uh, uh, you know, take, building up from these primitives all the way to the point where we have these virtual data centers and yeah. kind of demystifying it along the way. Yes. Um, and so first thing we learned here, uh, I'll, I'll take this when you get the next one. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I want to qualify this. Um, I, I just said this earlier today, uh, Bart's gonna say, yeah, I heard that already. Um, when we talk about data on Kubernetes, we're not saying databases on Kubernetes, okay? That, there is more to it and we'll get to that in a minute. You well, know, we are saying analytics, that, but we're, but we're saying more than that. We're saying, well, yeah, we're saying it's not just databases, it's every bit of your data stack. It's like the analytics, the streaming, the ML, AI, everything. Um, but some of the fundamentals like where we are today um, we need databases that run in and that we're underlying the in, not on. And there's a, there's a really uh, big significant difference. And um, if, you, if you think about like what the difference is, it's about you know, just installing an application on top of Kubernetes, um, an existing, uh, existing piece of infrastructure like a database. Um, sure, but you have to use operators and do a lot of translation and things to make it work. The one that works in Kubernetes actually exploits parts of Kubernetes to make it so that you don't have to include uh, all the, you know, everything in there and then you bring your own Zooper keeper and that's yeah. and <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's it's just ridiculous. Um, and this is happening. We're, we're starting to see I, as TIDB is one that's um, done this quite well. Um, there's uh, there's things happening in the, in the Cassandra project that are going to be uh, released, I think, soon around this as well. So it's it's happening, but this is this is just an official what a tease today. that was. Wow. Oh yeah, I can yeah. stay tuned. Cassandra Project <laughs> is going in. <laughs> yeah, we can keep moving, I guess. <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> one of the things that we're doing with this book is, um, like I said, you know. Uh, kind of putting the word out to, to people that are maybe have some doubts or some hesitations about running uh, any, any part of their data stack on Kubernetes, right? Is it ready? Is it not ready? We've already established people that seem to think that it is ready and they're moving there. Um, what, we wanted, what we wanted to do with the book in particular is highlight and give shout outs to places that we think are mature and also shine a spotlight on some things that places that we think there's probably still some growing to do. Um, you're going to see a couple of more of the growing to do parts in a minute, but we really want to celebrate uh, what's been going on with storage. This is an area that is um, super mature. 
within Kubernetes. Not that there isn't features to be added and enhancements to be made, but um, there's a thriving ecosystem of open source projects and extensions, as well as commercial offerings that build on top of those open source. Um, so it's a, it's a really cool ecosystem um, that's developed there. We feel like that's solid and mature. However, yeah, well, um, just, I think this is an everyone problem. If you're not aware, uh, pick, pick any infrastructure you want to run, um, say MySQL, just say that, and then go look and see how many operators exist. Um, I know in the Cassandra project where, uh, Jeff and I are greatly involved. I think at one point we counted something like 18 different operators that were available on GitHub. Um, it, it's just, it's easy to write an operator. Very easy. Um, it's and, not and probably easy. six of them were actually active and, and somewhat viable, right? Yeah. And well, it's and it's part of the thing where an operator is easy to write to scratch the particular itch that you have, but a general purpose operator is much more difficult because you need you have a lot more breadth. And I this is I think this is a problem in, in this industry that we have um too many operators and not no indicator of like the quality there's operator hub which it does a really good job of trying to rate these with these you know like operator uh, capabilities and maturity the, levels the maturity levels yeah and like it, it's it's nice to have that but there's not a lot of standardization around especially around data operators and so i think this is a, an area for growth quick quick question you know just since you mentioned earlier about in and versus on we got a, a someone asked in the chat here is it storage on Kubernetes or is it storage with Kubernetes? That's a with, yeah. Yeah, if you look at CSI, the uh, container storage interface, um, that's that's an in. Um, an on would be, boy, just taking some legacy storage product and slapping it in there. Um, yeah, well, I think it's, it gets a little uh, more nuanced, I think, because, you know, with with storage, a lot of times it's actually um, the storage resources themselves are not you know the the computers, the boxes, the actual boxes on which the storage resides are not uh, you know part of the Kubernetes cluster. Like you know maybe you're using S3 as a, a backup or something you know right. So like where uh, when we talk about for for storage in particular, when we're talking about um, in or on, it, I think a lot of it has to do with where is your control plane running. You know the more the more of your control plane for your storage solution that's actually running within Kubernetes cluster itself, I would say the more cloud native you are and the closer that, that you are to be, uh, to have a solution that's running in, not on. That's the Jeff hot take. Good, 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 that's good. Do you want to say anything more about- uh, No, operators? we should move on. Let's move on. We got you don't questions. want to talk about the one operator, it's a, the unified theory of operators? We could do that later. Maybe somebody will ask that question. Yeah, one op one operator to rule them all. That's yeah, that's hot. Yeah, yeah, that only leads to Mordor. <laughs> um, do Do you want to talk about? Are there any uh, supporting details from the slide that you? Want oh to yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, as yes, we did have it, we did have support, and we're not just talking here. We have evidence. Um, <laughs> yeah, we. This was a um, shameless plug for the the DOK survey, which was fantastic, and we can't wait for the next one. Um, and if you need to go um, see all the data, it's on the dok.community website. But this was a really particularly interesting slide that showed, this is the survey results that showed that um, 
the folks that are actually doing a lot of data work on Kubernetes, um, this is their number one problem. And it's this lack of quality operators. And it's sure, um, if you were not very scrutinizing and just picked up the first random operator you found for whatever technology you're using, you may not like it because it was, it was made probably for someone else's problem or a very specific problem. So again, this is just, I think a good data point that shows that this is something that we really do need to work on as a community is like, how do we, how do we get better at building operators, especially for someone who's new? Right. That's, I mean, <clears throat> this is, this is the way that open source works though, right? People that are, um, because Kubernetes is open and so easy to extend, um, assuming that you know Go, then I, you know, anyone can write their own operator to control different aspects of things. And then the, the problem is, you know, am I um, able to gather a group of people around the data infrastructure that I care about so that we can together build a high quality operator that solves everyone's use cases? That's a little bit of a bigger problem. Yeah. Which is why writing operators is hard. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I probably gave the spiel before I advanced the slide. Yeah, but, you did. Um, I, I do think, you know, um, maybe, maybe another way to say that is uh, writing operators is deceptively simple because getting the initial uh, part of the operator implemented, I think, is, is fairly easy handling the common cases. And then um, this is no different with Kubernetes than it is with anything else, but it's like, it's the edge cases that kill you, right? <laughs> so. Yeah, it's always hard. I mean, and it's the, and writing, getting deeper into the automation part of operators is hard too, because um, you can make it so that it'll deploy your thing and you can walk away, it, you know, it'll set up the PVs and, you know, some networking, yeah, sure. But then what's the day two? <laughs> day two is hard. Day two operations are hard. That's correct, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that <laughs> I, you, I, I could tell that you just want to grab the mic on this one. Oh, I do. Hold I'm on, everyone, there's a rant coming. <laughs> it's not a rant, it's just, um, <laughs> it, it's Spark on Kubernetes. Um, and I, and I say it's a bad idea only because it's going to be frustrating if you try to do it at scale. Um, if you're if you're trying to do a terabyte, a few terabytes of data, it's probably going to be just fine. But um, it's not. A, I mean, Spark generally means more than a terabyte of data. It's probably you're looking more like a petabyte of data. And the reasons there's a couple of really key reasons is that Spark expect certain things that Kubernetes was not designed for originally. Uh, for instance, um, these really bursty dynamic loads. So things that, um, you know, when you start a Spark job, it'll be like, I want 10,000 nodes, please. All right. And then it'll throw them away in 10 minutes. And that will put right. etcd into an absolute panic. <laughs> right. That's right. Um, and, uh, you know, the scheduling, the scheduler just isn't designed around this idea of how Spark wants to work. And Spark, for what it does, it doesn't have any real awareness of Kubernetes either. So there's, you know, these, you have these two opposing massive forces, you know, facing each other. Um, there are, there's glimmers of hopes. And that's why I say, at least right now, um, there's, uh, I just noticed that there's a new um, project that went out of sandbox and is being voted for for incubation. It's called volcano.sh. Um, 
And uh, there's an ASF project called Unicorn with a Y uh, that is a, a new scheduler for like Spark uh, workloads and Flink, I believe too. But um, you know, this is not a, an unknown problem and, and there are some active projects now thinking about how do we do this better? So if Spark on Kubernetes is a thing for you, there's some projects to get involved in. Yes, and it gets down to, like you were uh, saying, I think it gets down to the ability to handle um, scaling up and down the number of jobs that you have in the system really quickly. And it's funny because, you know, uh, Mesos has been, Apache Mesos has basically gone into retirement. Mesos is a distributed compute platform, <laughs> like similar to yeah. Kubernetes, right? Similar goals. They were competing for a while, but Mesos was really good at because it was designed to run Spark. So it was actually really good at handling those jobs. And, you know, Kubernetes is kind of one out as the thing that we're all uh, trying to deploy our workloads to now. It's just that, like, like you're saying, the scheduling piece has to mature. But the good news is it's pluggable and, and the new schedulers are coming. And yeah, so this is one of those ways in which Kubernetes itself needs to mature, not just the, the data infrastructure. Yeah, man, I keep about. doing this. Like the next slide, <laughs> just like elaborating my point. Wait, it's almost like we built yeah, this presentation maybe. to just flow. It's so good. Yeah. Um, uh, so some of the other things that that we noted um, are that it just takes. Uh, it's really about time and community. So Kubernetes is a really big open source project, and I I think it's probably not totally surprising that like the bigger the open source community, the more special interest groups and subcommittees that, that you have and, and kind of the more hurdles that, that has to that you have to surmount in order to get change into um, changes into the, the actual product itself. So you know we, we were uh, we, we've had some conversations uh, about ideas like advanced stateful sets that I, I, there were some really cool things that you'll, you'll, you'll see that we talk about in the book. Uh, and you know what? And I was like naively asking, well, why why can't advanced stateful sets just be a part of why can't those features be a part of stateful set, or why can't that be incorporated into the the base Kubernetes API? <laughs> you know, conversations, a series of conversations ensued in which I was um, shown that the error of my naivete about you know like what it takes to actually get things over to the hump and get them incorporated into the, the project as, as a whole. So it, there are there are pros and cons to this, by the way. Um, I, I don't know that we want a Kubernetes in which um, you know, APIs are, are fluctuating and changing back and forth all the time. Um, but then at other times, it does feel like the pace of progress is maybe slower than it could be because you know, we, have, we have these community governance things that kind of, I don't know, hold us in check. Do you, yep. do you want to riff on that before I advance? No, I mean, well, and then I'll, I'll talk about the next slide <laughs> like you did. Um, no, I, I, I think this is a, um, this is an interesting thing about the project and it's, you know, it'll, it'll change over time, but man, I, it's, it's become so big and it's, it's cool and terrifying at the same time, but I, I have a lot of hope in like the way that the project is governed. Um, the SIGs seem to be doing um, the right kinds of things. I, I like to see more activity in some of the SIGs, like some of the SIGs is like, 
like emerged and then went dormant and new SIGs are being created. Um, mm, but, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see some of the original SIG, like SIG applications seems to be the powerhouse of where a lot of stuff happens. And I'd love to see more activity in there. Well, that is true. That is true. But it was interesting that, you know, finding someone to speak authoritatively on the, the history and current state of stateful sets is a little bit harder than I would have thought it would have been. Just yeah, to peel well, back I mean, the covers on the book writing process. It was the person who's highly involved in six storage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, disaster recovery. Here we All go. All right. Is that orange yeah. for alert? Yeah. And it's a different color. Um, warning, warning, disaster recovery. <laughs> um, yeah. And this is everyone who's an ops that, you know, knows that DR and uh, like time to recovery and all these things are really important metrics that you want to, you want to maintain. Um, there's not a really clean story in Kubernetes. And we, that was one of the things we found out as we're talking to various groups, like, you know, we're, we're about like deploy and use a thing. And that's what people want to do. But then there's again, the day two and day two, it seems to be a bigger problem because um, how, what happens, I, there was a question that was asked in one of our interviews. Um, we were interviewing various people in the community for, in this book. And like, what happens when you, when you destroy your Kubernetes cluster? Like, how bad is that for you? Because it's really easy to do. You could do that. I mean, if you use Lens, it's basically a right click. <laughs> you could destroy your entire virtual data center in one shot. Uh, but how do you recover that? Um, there's no, there's no control Z, there's no undo button. And, um, that's a hard thing. Yeah. Jeff. It's like, get, yeah, get blame. <laughs> Just roll, roll forward with a new commit. Just we're moving on. Are you saying, so you saying use Argo. Okay. <laughs> Argo <laughs> will fix it. <laughs> okay. Um, I think we're getting pretty close to our list of the, the things that we learned, the broad conclusions that we have arrived at from uh, our, our investigations so far. Um, one of the things that um, we're trying to do in this book, and uh, you'll, you'll have to be the judge of how successful um, we are, but we, we are trying to have a narrative to try to tell a story um, you know, starting from first principles and, and building up things. But but one of the one of the um, main pieces of the story that we're trying to tell is uh, this idea that there's a, a maturation that's taking place in Kubernetes and in the data and Kubernetes community. Um, the changes that we're trying to make um, to make things better. Definitely celebrating all that we've accomplished so far, but then <clears throat> also looking forward to what actually needs to happen. Um, so if it works the way I think, um, one of the things that you'll see is uh, these interviews that we have scattered throughout the book uh, from, from various people within this community and, and thought leaders within this community uh, is, an, is an ongoing conversation where you'll, you'll see them in these interviews making a lot of the same points. And that, that's not lost on us and hopefully it won't be lost on you. So one of the key conversations that, that's, um, that started to emerge as we've been going through the chapters is this idea that um, we love the abstractions that Kubernetes gives us, right? Persistent volumes, PVCs, stateful sets, those are great. Those are great building blocks. Um, now we actually need some higher level ones. So you'll see some arguments like, 
why does every uh, database operator define its own uh, custom resource, provide an, its own custom resource definition or CRD for backup and restore? Shouldn't there just be like a common language for backup and restores in, in terms of resources on Kubernetes? Um, there's n more examples like that of uh, maybe we really do need to start having some conversations about higher level of abs uh, abstractions that could be in common. And then, you know, each database or each streaming platform could provide its own implementations based on a, a common set of resource definitions. Could we really get there? Hmm. I, I, yeah, we, we had custom definitions that were part of, um, you know, that we can add to YAML files, you know, that extend the object model of Kubernetes. But um, right. I, I, I hope that we can get to some more formalisms, you know, like ingress, for instance, can we get into a data services? And I think in the storage world, you know, there's like classifying certain data storage, like, is this long-term slow and cheap? Or is this right. high speed and fast, that sort of thing. So yeah, I hope we get there. Go ahead. Uh, uh, no. Okay, not jumping the gun. Um, so this is where we're gonna kind of turn turn the page over to uh, your questions here in just a second. Um, we've had um, a, a good number of people that have reached out to us. Uh, Bart, you've done such an awesome job of helping make connections uh, between some, some interested folks um, and, and helping us get together with them. Um, so here, here are the concrete ways in which we could use help and we're really um we we want this to be a book like this this book is a love letter to this community it is and hopefully um by by virtue of the fact that that we're getting inputs from you and doing interviews with community members there's a lot of voices that are coming into this that are not just our voices um so we have a repo uh on on github it's data on kate's book uh, you can see the URL there, and there's there's um, there's two repos in this GitHub org. Um, one of them is called Outline, and the other one is called Examples. So, <laughs> like, it's pretty basic. Uh, the examples is the actual source code examples that we're using in the book. Um, a lot of them are unashamedly uh, borrowed or cloned, um, aggregated from other repos for different technologies, but we're trying to provide like a, you know, a, a point in time snapshot of this is the example that we used in the book. And then we will try to keep in sync with some of the, the upstream um, projects that we're tracking for those. Um, I think that what we have right now in the examples repo is mostly focused on like just getting started examples with each technology. We're definitely open to having more complicated examples um, that's probably more than we have time to totally build ourselves just for this book project, given everything that's involved in it. But um, if there is interest in kind of growing out a broader set of examples, we would totally be down for some pull requests uh, in, in that regard. And then uh, with respect to the outline, um, I'm going to make a little bit of a confession here. I think it's, that it's okay to make. Um, when, when Patrick and I pitched this book, the first half of the outline I felt was really solid, solid. and like <laughs> no, oh, yeah. known quantity. Um, 
And then the further we got, the closer that we got to the, the end of the outline, the more speculative it felt. <laughs> and um, so we're about to, uh, you know, basically um, we're each writing right now the last chapter that we feel totally solid about what the content is going to be. So I'm writing uh, seven and Patrick's writing eight. Um, I'm writing about uh, broader kind of building broader stacks of, of technology and, and Patrick, you're, you're writing about analytics and the, oh, the I am nightmare that, about analytics right now. that you shared back a couple of slides ago. But after that, um, the outline gets a little more speculative. And so we're actually uh, within the next couple of weeks here about to have a little bit of a powwow to review what we put out there for the outline originally and say, is this still right? So this would be a perfect time uh, for us to get some input about areas that um, we've kind of talked about writing about, but but um, don't have a lot of data yet, like declarative data, like building um, data pipelines, like ML and AI workflows. Uh, any other of those speculative things that you want to mention? Um. I don't know if I really want to get into too much. I, I want to hear, I don't want to, I don't want to tip. I just sort of put a couple of things out there as seeds. Those aren't meant as limiting. Yeah. Those are the jumping off point. Yeah. I think there's, there's definitely, um, I mean, I see in the questions, there's a lot of people that are asking about more comprehensiveness of, you know, deploying data, like a whole entire data stack, application stack, using everything. Um, right. And right. You know, that, that does seem I think that's the next frontier for sure. Uh, we, like I said, we do a lot of databases, um, but you know, if you bring streaming analytics and database into a single application, which most are right. now, how do you do that? And uh, that's a, a little bit of a sneak preview is that we're, we're probably not going to just pick winners and just say, here's the one stack. You should use this database with this streaming, with this analytics, with this ML. Um, it's not really about picking a winner stack, right? Because everyone's inevitably going to end up with a different stack that they need to build. It's what we're going for is more like, how do you go about it? You know, what are well, the we can, you know what? I think this is a good opportunity for us to, for us to answer some questions. Cause I see some of the questions are already in here and they kind of go into this. So maybe we just do it. jump into it. Um, do it. Uh, Bart, do you want to take it from the top or do you want to be the question, the questioner? Or do you um, want to be yeah, but also, I mean, I'll just start with the first, like the first couple of just for, you know, kind of background, you know, folks that are approaching this at different points, you know, um, different organizations, different challenges. So, and particularly because you touched on this in the beginning is, you know, so what's the first step to running data in Kubernetes? Let's start, I think, trying to get those, um, <laughs> get our prepositions right. So with that in mind, you know, from a mentality perspective, you know, Patrick, you gave that great talk about from DBA to SRE, but when organizations are going to be approaching this for the first time, what are resources they should consult, uh, things that they might need to unlearn? I know it's kind of a big question, but just thinking in a very practical sense, uh, obviously joining the data on Kubernetes community, but what, what would you advise? I was going to say that. Damn it. Sorry. Man. Keep me up. <laughs> Are you going to answer that, Jeff? Or yeah, I, well, I was gonna, the other thing I was going to say is read our book. But that sounds way too self-serving. No, no, buy your book. <laughs> uh, 
You don't have to buy it. You can just go download. We'll get the free. We'll get the free one. That's true. Get the free. No, yeah, don't buy it. Get the free version. Yeah, don't buy it. Anyway, Jeff, but how how would you approach that? You know, just like you know, quick answer for anybody who's you know once to get started on this, you'd say, well, if I had to choose one thing, I would definitely want to keep. You would definitely want to keep this in mind. Uh, I, you know, I think that, um, I I approach problems like these like a piece at a time. Like I, I think one of the marks of a, um. I don't know, a more mature developer, or at least uh, me personally in my journey as a, as a developer is like, I used to think that maybe I would just like write the whole application and just deploy it. And then it was, it's all going to work. I mean, with technologies like this, you really do need to kind of build a piece at a time and, and layer on it. Hopefully this community is helping to, to give the tools so that you can get those quick starts and, and just kind of layer in a little piece of time. So like concrete example, um, I think that you should endeavor to have at least a rudimentary understanding of how storage on Kubernetes works before you just go deploying databases. Now, yeah, I would love to get to a world, and you can counter me too, Patrick. I, I, there's a counterpoint to the how to be sure. Like, yes, I would love it if deploying a database was just like, hey, um, here's some YAML, deploy the database and go. But I just, I think in turn, if, 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 you know, if we're concerned about having the skill sets where we're actually maintaining applications in Kubernetes, we should understand the primitives. That's, that's my point. Okay, now tell me why I'm wrong. I don't think you're wrong, but I, I think if someone's <laughs> just getting started on Kubernetes, you absolutely should not run your own Kubernetes. That is the wrong way to do it. Um, I, I firmly believe that Kubernetes will be a service that's provided, like every cloud now has a Kubernetes service. Um, and that that's I think that's that's perfectly legit right now. That's that's the way forward. Um, do you want to be in the business of being a Kubernetes admin or in the business of being an SRE that knows how to use Kubernetes to make the thing that you want work? Like for instance, your application that actually makes money. Um, and I, you know, just yeah, you could use Kind. You know, if you you know if you want your uh, K3s something like that that's local and sure. You will learn a lot of things, but is that a practical piece of knowledge? I think in 2022, um, no, it's not. It's useful and interesting for lots of things, but probably not going to be the path forward for you to know how to do what you like, be an SRE. Good, good. One other thing, uh, this is a purely aesthetic question. Can you stop sharing your screen so we can see you in full view? Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, good, wait a minute, that's a call. lot. Yeah, right. okay, good. That's a really All right. good call. Next question. Uh, what is the efficiency aspect of running data, let's say, in Kubernetes? There are many aspects of serving data, and how are they affected by running our data in Kubernetes? Also, could you give a brief comparison uh, between the efficiency of running data regularly and running data in Kubernetes? The regular way, the standard the fashion. Standard, yeah, <laughs> standard, yeah, the Starbucks way, yeah. Yeah, the Starbucks way. Yeah, like I, I'm assuming we're talking about bare metal, like buying a physical server and installing a database on it. Um, yeah, you know that that can be that can seem e efficient because wow, you know, I just dedicated this entire huge honking machine to running my database. That's great. Um, the downside is whenever you need to start doing, you know, like moving things around or changing your infrastructure. Um, the the efficiencies that I see that you running a database on Kubernetes is in everything around it. No database stands alone. Everything's a part of an ecosystem, an application stack. And getting into that, that, like when you're building a virtual data center, 
The efficiency of running, you know, that database there is that now you have the ability to uh, maintain security by default. You can use things like Cert Manager to maintain your uh, TLS certificates. Um, you know, all those little things there that just you think about. Like we used to, I used to have, uh, I ran infrastructure for a long time. Like, and we had, I had a security team, and we had a networking team. All these things now you don't need them. They're part of it. Um, I think also in uh, with certain kinds of databases, uh, you know, like one of the things that uh, Jeff and I both work on is Kate Sandra, which um, if you've run uh, Cassandra the regular way, you mm. will you will become an expert at running Cassandra, which probably you don't need to do there anymore. Um, Kate Sandra, you, do, you just Helm install Kate Sandra and it does so many things for you, even does like day two ops, like, um, you know, running repairs and doing backups and things like that. That is a huge time savings. And that's, and if you're not getting that out of what you're doing, then you should do something different because you should see more efficiency in the end. Very, very good. Next question, given proficiency over Kubernetes architecture, how hard is it to implement operators using stateful sets for various databases? What are some essential dependencies and what are a few best practices which developers must keep in mind? This is right up your alley, Jeff. Do it, oh my Jeff. goodness! Wow. Go for I mean, it, Jeff. I, Attack. So I, I think that there there's a, um, some emerging expertise and and frameworks and in terms of writing good operators. So the operator framework is out there. Um, there's also Cube Builder. Um, so I some of the things like I've um, I'm gonna plug some stuff like. These two books were really good. When I was writing the operators chapter, um, Kubernetes operators, this is a good high level description of what, um, yes, I'm an old school, don't judge me. I buy real books on real paper and don't just read everything on Safari. Put judging me. Free killer. <laughs> and then uh, programming Kubernetes, this gets down into the low level stuff. Like if you wanna learn how to write controllers and go, this is a really good book. Um, so the, in terms of resources, I think these are how you get good. Um, I would say that going and looking at other open source projects, um, it's, it's more accessible than I would have thought. So like, as I've been writing lately, I've been diving into source code for Kate Sandra operator and um, CAS operator, which kind of Kate Sandra operator builds on top of CAS operator. Um, so just uh, finding a, a legit operator that you can use as an example to, to help pull some programming patterns and best patterns. And then, like I said, operator framework, reading some of the literature. This is my advice. Good. You got some support too from people that read real books. That's good. Okay, um, <laughs> <laughs> good. Moral what? support. That's good. Too. How do you search? I don't get it. <laughs> ah, oh, that's good. oh you know, okay. So yeah. I do, this is, but this is funny because, because I have the Safari account. I am kind of a hybrid user where I read, uh, I just process information better off of the written page. And then I go back and search for it later on Safari. So, yeah. Okay. All right. So hybrid model. That's all right. Uh, good. Now, all right. Another question here. At what point does running data in on Kubernetes become overkill? Like, how do I know when I should migrate my stateful workloads to Kubernetes? Is there a metric for that? For example, DAU? 
Hmm. <laughs> I'm going to make a, a statement that I haven't thought about. I'm going to throw up, uh, I'm going to postulate a thesis and then Please we don't. can look at it and examine it together. Cause I don't know if it's right yet, but it just occurred to me, which is, I don't know if it's a lot different than deciding that your app is ready to be deployed on, on Kubernetes. Um, I think there's two, there's two worlds. There's a world of, um, Hey, I'm just kind of getting started. And how do I know when I need to adopt Kubernetes when I'm like at, at the scale? I don't know that the database is a, is a determining factor that would be a lot different than should your application, is, is, it, is that traffic ready enough for it to be deployed on Kubernetes? But the other thing is there's probably also shops um, that, that I could think of in the world where basically everything goes on Kubernetes regardless of scale, because this is where we deploy things. Um, and so in that case, it, maybe it's not even a question. So I, I don't know how to say how many, you know, daily active users or something or what scale your application needs to be to go on Kubernetes. I'm just saying, I don't think that the data part makes it a lot different. All right, Patrick, anything you want to add? Um, yeah, well, see, here's a couple of things that you should also consider is, you know, Kubernetes doesn't mean always mean deploying absolutely everything by yourself. You can, you can still be quite cloud native and Kubernetes by using services as well. Um, you know, if you, for instance, if you're using OpenShift, which is a Red Hat service, um, they allow you to connect to various services. Um, so there, you, you don't have to think of it's all in, or nothing. It can be quite hybridized and be okay that way. Um, you know, we, we there's databases as a service, like you know, Datastacks, we sell a, um, Cassandra as a service, which can integrate with your Kubernetes uh, installation. Um, there are you know, services for analytics, for, um, for streaming, all these different components that you don't have to do everything. If you just want to stick to say like your microservices or application stack, that's fine to start with. Um, but eventually, I mean, it's just going to come down to your personal preferences. Like how much do you really right. think you want to do? And I'm going to go back and just push the idea, don't run. You can deploy anything in a cloud Kubernetes service and it's really easy. Um, like Google has this, re I mean, so easy to set up. You want to run a WordPress blog on Kubernetes uh, using the Google Kubernetes service. Um, it's super easy and it's actually cheaper <laughs> because, you know, think about using a Kubernetes, you know, the Kubernetes services in this regard. And now does your answer change? All right. Um, next question. Implementing abstract CRDs has more to do with the way the database is developed and implemented, right? Like, would it be fair for abstracting databases that are implemented in different ways, or am I missing something here? Uh, so, wait, let me jump in on this one again. Um, so, uh, one of the theories, um, you know, and this is this. A lot of this came out of a um, conversation with Umer. Um, a lot of databases are going to have very specific things that are kind of peculiar to them. But then um, there are some common concepts across databases. Uh, so like if you think about the way that most um, uh, most relational databases are going to work with concepts of primary and secondary replicas uh, and you know basically the, the ways in which topologies of those databases are represented 
I think there's a strong case to be made that we, we could have a, a unified uh, language of, of custom resources in Kubernetes to represent database topology or you know cluster relational database cluster topology. I think that that we have a good shot at being able to do something like that. Now, you know, there might be some peculiarities like you know Cassandra, the fact that it has this repair mechanism that that's probably going to be pretty unique to to Cassandra, and there's not going to be a lot of value. Just to take like I don't know, like kind of an obvious trivial example, right? Um, no, there's not some common representation of um, database maintenance operations that we can just abstract away. But at least stuff like topology is a, is a little more concrete, and I think we can. All right. Good. Uh, next question. All right. So this is uh, this might put you in a little bit of a, of a bind, Patrick, but it's your birthday. So what is your opinion of you about using traffic uh, with stateful workloads? Does it make the process a teeny bit complicated or is it simpler? And if so, how? <laughs> traffic. Well, as a traffic ambassador. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have to modestly preface my statement. <laughs> yeah, so let me just tell you. Uh, do, do they call, uh, they should call their, their community advocates cops. Like cops, cops, yeah, traffic cops. Yeah, that's what I want to that be. free. Like I just tweet and you're like, Go ahead, turn right. Um, tra traffic is one of many ingress tools that makes a lot of these kind of things easier because it, it, it sets up these layers of abstraction that you need in your virtual data center. I mean, if you were, if you were doing this in Amazon, you'd probably want to have a load balancer of some sort or reverse proxy. I think the things that, that like a, a, a tool like traffic brings, which a lot of people don't even think about is that it also makes using uh, TLS certificates really easy too. Um, the uh, you know the just the fact that it it manages the certificate, the re, re you know does the um, renewals, and then all if you're all your traffic is going through the single point or like a reverse proxy, you know that they're always going to be you know they're going to be encrypted. Um, these are all great, and it just gives you a level of control um, that you don't normally expect whenever you deploy things. Um, it, it's a tool you need to get to know really well. Traffic is really well documented. It has a lot of good stuff in it and it does some really cool things, but um, just giving everyone else fair hearing. Uh, Nginx is, you know, the basic uh, ingress tool is pretty amazing for everything that it can do. Um, using load balancers at, and again, using a service like a load balancer from the cloud also does that. So, I, you know, I, I'd say these are probably a very critical part of your arsenal, but not, and if you're, you're just learning, maybe not the most important thing. Jeff, what do you think? Hey, let me devil's advocate for one second here. Sure. Why, why do we need an ingress for our, our data on Kubernetes? Because aren't, aren't we deploying our app? And like, it, it, when I hear ingress, we're talking about like getting data out of Kubernetes. So, I mean, our most architecture is going to have a, a application that's deployed on top of our data that's running in Kubernetes. And doesn't the application layer, that's the one that really has to worry about ingress with, with traffic or Nginx. Like uh, who's, who's exposing database access directly using traffic? It can happen. Outside of sure. Kubernetes. Yeah. But you know, I think there's a lot of data APIs that get exposed um, and it, this is a uh, probably a side effect of the issue that we have trouble doing multiple data center, multiple cluster Kubernetes 
you know, every Kubernetes cluster is an island. <laughs> so this is one of my favorite things when someone fires up their first Kubernetes cluster is how do I get in it? <laughs> There's like, oh, all the stuff is in there running. I see it. I say, you know, Port forward I do, just, I'm, I'm doing coop cuddle on my pods and they're all there, but how do I even get to them? I don't even know what to do. No. And it's like, and that's Kubernetes saying, you're welcome. <laughs> you know, we secure set up all the security. Yeah, secure by default. Um, and you're right. I, I would argue that most times you probably don't, but it can also do, um, it can do internal from namespace to namespace, or you can abstract it. You can do it internally. You can move traffic around inside of your virtual, like, let's see how big your virtual data center is. Well, if you have your microservices running over here, you know, and you have your database running over there, um, internally, what does that get you? Well, you also have a way to manage those TLS, like MTLS, being able to do encryption both ways. So sure, there's a reason to do that. All right, good. Like Advanced answer. user topic for sure. All right. So yeah, we got traffic cops and traffic criminals. Um, looking at, uh, we got, we only got a couple minutes left, but just, uh, just to touch on one of the, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mix two questions here because I think they, they kind of touch on similar topics. Given that we have uh, distributed that we have distributed or replicated database servers, how is data consistency maintained? And then by extension, how is the system where all other workloads except databases are running in Kubernetes maintained? Go ahead, Jeff. Oh man, the, I because yeah, we know okay, I kept jumping in. I kept jumping in on first on questions. You're like totally conditioned to that, right? So okay, so there's yeah, there's two parts to it there. Um, Okay, so we can for one thing, like <laughs> the the data technology that you're using has its own way of handling consistency. So there's not that's not going to change by virtue of running or, or deploying in Kubernetes, right? Mm -hmm. So like Cassandra, it's an eventually consistent system. You're going to deploy it. It's going to work the same way outside of Kubernetes that it is in inside Kubernetes, that's the, that, that's a, a property of the data technology that you're choosing is the, the way it handles consistency that I think is unaffected by Kubernetes. What was the second part of the question? Uh, one second, let me get to that. So here we go. Uh, how is a system where all other workloads except databases are running in Kubernetes maintained? Ah, okay. How is it maintained? I just want to make sure I'm getting the nuance of the question because I think we had something kind of like this before um, when we were talking, Patrick was talking about kind of like deploying your, your database on bare metal and what, mm -hmm. are those, what are some of the efficiencies or inefficiencies Yeah, I got gotcha, you, I got gotcha. you, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's pretty much all it says. It, and this was asked previously, so I'm not sure if, if, if this community member is here live. But like you said, it was, it, it was addressed previously. Um, anyway, no, we're, we're, we're right on, we're right on, we're right on time to, to finish up, but I think this was very good. I'm glad we did this. I think it's, it's a reminder that, uh, oh, we got, eh, okay. Does cap theorem, does Kubernetes fix the cap theorem if implemented in the correct way? No. <laughs> Short answer. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah, that's like, no, wait, I built a perpetual motion machine using Kubernetes. There is no magic. There is no magic. No, cap theorem is still in play. And it and this is the thing you have to remember is that cap theorem doesn't, it doesn't get fixed by better architectures. 
it, the cap theorem just helps you manage any architecture. It, it, it's a way to conceptualize it's a, um, yeah, how your a database reacts. Tool. Yeah. So if, if you're, a, you're using a CP database, then you know that your database will react to certain changes in your architecture. Um, if you're using an AP database, it will react uh, differently, but in some cases better in larger changes. You know, it's, there's just more resilience to change in AP databases. That's why they're popular for what they are. Um, there's, there's, uh, yeah, there's a lot to be said around, you know, cap theorem and whether or not that, that you know, if we're moved, have we have moved on, but until we've figured out faster than light communication, no. All right. So let's figure out faster than light communication and then we'll work on that. I, I got to work step on Step one, lab, you know? faster than light communication. Yeah, faster step than light. two, right, folks. world domination. <laughs> All right. Quantum entangled bits. Let's We've got that laid out. All right. This is, like I said, a very, very productive session. We still got a couple of questions, but I think they can be answered on Slack. A couple of things. Step three, longer. steel moon. Um, so thanks everyone for joining us. Thanks for all the folks that submitted questions previously as well. Great presentation. Get the free version of the book. Don't pay for it. Uh, or, or pay for it and support a worthy cause. You'll be hearing more about this as we get in KubeCon for sure. And, and, and around that time. Um, but there will definitely be more news coming out about that. If you want to get involved in the book, if you have questions, if you have criticism, if you have ideas, feedback, et cetera, we already dropped a link to, to the GitHub, uh, for the, for the data on Kate's book. All right, so you can check that out. Also, Jeff and Patrick are very accessible in Slack, so you can always reach out there. Thank you both so much for your time today, particularly on your birthday, Patrick. Um, this is Where else would I want to be? Hang that's out That's true, that's true. That we, yeah. This is the first, hopefully not the last time we're celebrating a birthday in a live stream. Uh, as usual, as usual, we got our man behind the scenes, Angel, who's creating amazing artwork. So let me know when you can see this. We also got the birthday theme in there too. Uh, very important. <laughs> very, very important. This is awesome. <laughs> we, we talked about lots and lots and lots of cool stuff today. Great presentation, awesome slides, good questions from the audience. Keep the questions coming, all right? Um, Jeff and Patrick, really just, that's what they're all about is answering questions. I love the happy birthday cake. That is yeah. amazing. I know, I kind of want to have a cake. Uh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. we got your O'Reilly, your uh, your O'Reilly bird in there. Too. My book plug. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Uh, so the, <laughs> hey, I was wearing a DOK shirt. Today, no, 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 ma no. Massive respect. Massive respect. We know Jeff's wearing his underneath his hooded sweatshirt. Yeah. Um, so, so many yeah. DOK hoodies. Uh, we, we can we, we can get we can get those for coupon. All right. Anyway, thanks thanks very much. Uh, thanks so much, everyone. We'll have more live streams coming up next week. Plenty of content coming out as usual. Let's keep the conversations going on Slack. Jeff and Patrick, thank you so much for all your contributions today. And we'll thank keep you. This moving. All right. Thanks a lot, everybody. Take care. See you.